Can we all bow our heads and let us pray together? The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth, however, will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Heavenly Father, as we're here today, another Sunday, God, it's not just going through the motions, God, but Lord, we are here to remind ourselves that God is not about how we feel, but it's about choosing to worship the King of Kings. Lord, thank you for this new day that you have given us. Each day is a new day that we will never get. God, I pray we will worship you without any regrets. That we'll worship you while we still can. That we'll worship you in spirit and truth to give you the best and everything that we have to lay them down at your feet, O oh God. For God, you are our King and you are our Lord. You are the beginning and the end, God, the author and the perfecter of our walk, this journey that we are walking on this earth. So God, I pray with this one life that we have and with this one chance that we have, may we honor you this morning, this very morning on the 15th of August. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. We lift up our hands. We lift up our voices to declare your name, O oh God, that you are our King and that you are our Lord and that we will worship no other gods no other gods before you, O oh God, for you are the true God, Yahweh, the Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are Jesus Christ, our Father, our Shepherd, the great Shepherd of the sheep. We look to you, God. And I pray, Lord, as we transition to the message, I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, that the words that I'm about to deliver, that will be pleasing in your sight, O oh God. And Lord, and let the words and the meditations of our hearts for those who will be listening. Lord, may it be pleasing in your sight, O God, for Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer, the savior of our souls. We love you, we thank you. We declare your name and your authority and your dominion over this place. We love you, pray all these things in your precious son, Jesus Christ, and we pray. And God's people pray, amen and amen. All right, God bless you all. Uh, let's take a moment to greet our neighbors. Okay, you guys ready? All right, I'm excited for today's message. Uh, let's go right into it. We are still in our Authentic Christian Christianity series. And the title, let's begin with the title, is When Spears Come, Run Well. When spears come, run well. Now, I say run well. When I say run well, I do not mean run away, cower away. What I mean to say is, I am saying to face it with courage. There are two types of people in this world. Number one, the ones who stand up and run and to face the music with courage, or number two, those that run for cover and cowardice. 
If you remember the movie Captain America, before he became strong, before he was modified with the super soldier serum, he was a skinny, small individual. But what did he have? He had courage. In that one scene, when they throw a dud, a grenade that is not real, everyone cowers and they run away to cover for themselves. But what does Steve Rogers, what does he do? He goes and he runs to the grenade so that he can block for his comrades, right? For his fellow brothers. So when I say run well, I don't mean run away in cowardice, but I mean run. Run in courage and face the music. Face the problem that is right in front of you. So today it's going to be a lot of reading, but if you could just be patient and let us just learn and soak up the word of God that we're about to read here in chapter 19 and chapter 20 today. Amen? So don't get sleepy. Don't fall asleep on me. But let's go ahead and let's continue on in this narrative, this story, this narration that is found in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and chapter 20. Saul tries to kill David, starting with verse 1. It says this, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I will speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Verse 4, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he kills the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. Verse 7. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Once more, war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. Verse 9, but an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with the spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michal let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Then Michal took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at the head. When Saul sent the man to capture David, Michal said he is ill. Then Saul sent the man back to see David and told him, Bring him up to me in his bed so that I may kill him. 
But when the man entered, there was an idol in the bed, and at the head was some goat's hair. Saul said to Michal, Why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? Michal told him, He said to me, Let me get away. Why should I kill you? And here Michal, David's first wife, plays an important role. Even though later she would become a snare to David's growth as a king in his relationship before God, at one point as his wife, she was faithful and loyal to David as we saw here in verse 17. Let's continue on. Verse 18, when David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naioth and stayed there. War came to Saul. David is in Naioth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men and they also prophesied. So was told about it and he sent more men and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time and they also prophesied. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great sister Esaku and he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over at Naioth at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Naioth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even on him. And he walked along prophesying until he came to Naioth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day and all that night. And this is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets. And I think this is the last time when the Spirit of God comes on Saul. This is the last time that the Spirit of God is on Saul. Let's continue on, going to chapter 20 now. The title says, David and Jonathan. Starting with verse 1. Then David fled from Naioth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied. You are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this, or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, there's only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. I wish we all have, that we will have a friend like this. Let's continue verse 5. So David said, look, tomorrow is a new moon feast which means the first day of the month. That's what it means. And I am supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him. David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. 
As for you, shall show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, said Jonathan, said, if I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went there together. This is a different kind of image of Cain and Abel. Remember, Cain takes his brother out into the field to what? To murder him with an intention, with hatred to murder his brother. But here, Jonathan takes him out into the field to make a covenant relationship with David. Verse 12, Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away in peace, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Verse 18, then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon feast. You'll be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow toward evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by the stone as it. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here, then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe, there is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. Verse 24, so David hid in his field, And when the new moon feast came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan, and Abner sat next to Saul, but David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son, Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town, and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, 
Let me get away to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger fled up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as a son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Verse 32, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Verse 34, Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On that second day of the feast, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him, and he said to the boy, Run and find the arrows. Shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. Then the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen. Jonathan called out after him, Isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, Hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing about all this. Only Jonathan and David knew. Then David gave his weapons to the boy and said, Go, carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times. With his face to the ground, then they kissed each other and wept together. And David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. Amen. What a beautiful friendship that David and Jonathan had with each other. Let's start with point number one. Run well in Christ. Run well. Life is a race. Therefore, we must run well. Not in cowardice, but in courage. Paul, he speaks about a race, a run. It's found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. And he says this, and he declares, he says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but what? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward, meaning run toward the goal, the race to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward 
in Christ Jesus. Run well. Run well in Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27 says, Do you not know that in a race that all the runners run, not only one gets the prize, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight, fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I struck a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the price. The question is, are you running the race well right now? Whatever spears are being thrown at you, whatever tough and hardship that is happening in your life right now, are you running the race well? Are you in strict training? Are you beating the air like a boxer, beating the air, have no opponent? aimlessly living life or do do you have purpose and goal in the race that you're running run to get a crown that will last forever don't run like someone beating the air and running aimlessly meaning i fight every day you and i we fight with purpose purpose every day is a day even a mundane day is a day filled with purpose. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You'll receive the crown of life if you endure. If you are faithful in your race, in your journey, In this journey called life, if you're faithful in your race, and if you persevere under the trial, when things are tough and difficult, and you're continually running well in Christ, we will receive the crown of life promised to those who love God. Isaiah 40, 31, it says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I pray that you would not grow exhausted in your walk and in your run in this race called life, this Christian life. Continue running. Run well in Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 to 8. If we as a church, if we could all read it together, and I count of three, ready? One, two, three. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Amen. At the end of your life, can you say, I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith? Are you confident that you'll receive the crown of righteousness, the award that our Lord will give to us on that final day? 
It is not just for Paul, but it is for all, for all those who believe and who place their trust not in their own righteousness, not in your own good works, but in the righteousness of Christ. Amen. Run well in Christ. So point A, who we run to will reveal the kind of people we are. I'll say it again for it to, for you to soak in what I'm trying to say here. Who we run to will reveal the kind of people we are. Who do you run to when things get hard in your life? I mean, of course, God, 100%, always, no matter what. But I'm talking about in a community setting, in a relationship setting, who we run to will reveal the kind of people we are. So the question, to whom do we run to? Who do you, who do you run to? Who we run to, to seek refuge, reveals who we really are. And later you'll see that David, who did he run to? He ran to godly men. As iron sharpens iron, he ran to people with like mind, like, like-minded individuals. God-centered, who had their own individual relationship with God, he ran to godly men. So point B, the kind of people who are loyal to us will reveal who we are. The kind of people who are loyal to us will reveal who we are. If Hitler is super loyal to you, then there's something wrong with you. We'll reveal who we are. You want the right kind of people to be loyal to you. I mean, right? Yes? <laughs> so the question, who remains loyal to you? Jonathan was like David, and David was like Jonathan. Who remains loyal to us will reveal more about who we are more than who they are. I'm standing here today because of you guys. I am me, and I am who I am because of you. And you are here also, vice versa, because of my loyalty to you. And it shows the character, the like-minded minds that they had. David and Jonathan, it says he loved them as he loved himself. They had the same mind. Remember Jonathan? Was he only faithful to God because of David? Nope. Remember him and the armor bearer when he went against a whole group of soldiers, defeated a camp? Jonathan had his own relationship with God way before he met David. They both shared, had a mutual respect and love for God and had a relationship with the living God. So again, Point number one, run well in Christ. Letter A, who we run to will reveal the kind of people we are. B, the kind of people who are loyal to us will reveal who we are. Remember, Jonathan was not loyal to who? 
his own blood father. Right? He was not. But he was loyal to who? David, who was not his blood. And they were both loyal to each other. It revealed who they were, who they are before God. Point number two, David ran to Samuel. Oh, I really, when I was reading this, I smiled and I was very happy because I was like, oh no, I'm not going to see David and Samuel again together. But I was very happy to see here that it's a very small detail. It's found in chapter 19, verse 18. First Samuel 19, 18, it says, When David had fled and made his escape, he went to who? To Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naioth and stayed there together. Samuel, during this time, was a, a spiritual leader to many godly young men. Remember, he was of old age. Uh, it says his sons were crooked, but he found favor. He had favor towards David because he was a boy. He was a man after God's own heart. And their mutual relationship, respect, they were forged and bonded in God. In life, we all need mentors. We all need spiritual leaders, specifically godly leaders. And in order for us first to be a leader, you must first learn to be a follower, to be a servant. And here, David is showing exactly how to become a good leader. He's not a king yet. Yes, he is a leader among his soldiers. Yes, he is a commander in the army. But he goes and he submits to his mentor, to Samuel, and he goes and he says, David had fled and made his escape, and he went to Samuel Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. He did not neglect his relationship with his mentor, with his leader. So the question is, do you have godly mentors? Do you have spiritual leaders in your life? Samuel, he was what? Letter A, he was older. Letter B, he was stronger. Letter C, he was wiser. And letter D, he was loyal in God. When I say find a leader, I'm talking about someone who falls under this category. Older, stronger, wiser. Again, loyal in God. I didn't say loyal to you. Loyal in God. Because Samuel was loyal in God, he was loyal to David. You understand? He was loyal in God first. Keep in mind, David did not run to his family, right? He just made up that story to, for Jonathan to tell Saul that I'm going to visit my family right, because of the New Moon Festival, but he did not go. He could have, but he ran to Samuel. The first person he ran to was Samuel. David was accountable to Samuel. Had a friend a long time ago, a year younger than me, so I guess at that time, more like a tongseng, I guess, but a friend. I uh, haven't seen him in a while at church, and I was young. Uh, he came, visited the church one day. I was like, whoa, you know, what are you doing here? And then he said he's looking for the pastor 
Unfortunately, the pastor wasn't there anymore. But he wanted to come and because and he got a girl pregnant and he wanted to seek advice and he needed help. And no matter how far you go in life, no matter how uh, bad the situation gets, I pray that you be able to come and be vulnerable and to be able to seek out uh, help from your leader. Again, Samuel was older, stronger, wiser, and he was loyal in God. David made sure that he was accountable to Samuel. David told Samuel all that Saul had done to him. I'm sure, you know, here he wasn't surprised. Samuel's not surprised because he knew of Saul, right? He knew of his character. Let's go ahead, chapter 19, verse 18. When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. For David to go to one of the goats as a spiritual leader of Israel's history revealed the amazing heart of David. It revealed more of David than it did of Samuel. Yes, everyone knew that Samuel was a godly man. But for David to go ahead and to seek the help of Samuel, it revealed more about David's heart than anything else. It revealed his desire, his heart for God, how he desired God, how he pursued God, how he relied on God. And we all need leaders who will hold us and keep us accountable to help keep us to stay on this narrow path, to hold on to God always, no matter what. No matter what, to discipline us, to correct us, to bring us on the right path. So if you have a leader right now in your life to discipline you, to correct you, and to speak truth into your life, then you are blessed. You're blessed. The Bible is filled with discipline and love. How discipline and love, they go side by side. CPD. The Chicago Police Department, a lady named by the French officer French, uh, she was doing a normal traffic stop, and she went with her partner, went by the car. The car was not registered. It was just a normal, mundane day, just doing another traffic stop. And there were two brothers at the age of 21, 22. Eventually, things got rough. The police didn't even have a chance to draw their gun. And the guy got out, and he shot the cop, Officer French, right in the head. A young woman, she was shot dead instantly, shot the other officer in the chest. He's in ICU right now, trying to survive. Right now, as we speak, the other guy runs. And then the mom researched this. The mom goes, and what does she do? She goes and says, My boys are innocent. Don't believe everything you hear. A good mom and a godly mom will correct and bring accountability to these boys. Not baby them. Not defend for them. There is no excuse for this predator, for him to go ahead and shoot someone straight, directly into the face, not even having a chance to protect themselves. If there is no accountability in our lives, That is the result that comes down to. When there's no accountability for men, 
where there's no influence for, from fathers, from father figures, from mentor figures, from godly men, from teaching young men and correcting and bringing discipline, this is the kind of world that we will, we will live in. A world full of grown men with emotions, left and right, unbalanced, imbalanced emotions, doing whatever they want, overthrowing authority. And sadly, this is the case, not every time, but this is the case when a father is absent in the home, when there is no discipline in the family. Yes, David, his relationship with his father was not the best, right? He was the youngest. They didn't even know where he was. Shepherd boy, neglected. But David made sure he surrounded himself with godly individuals, especially men, godly men. Men, listen to me. You need to surround yourself with godly men who will bring discipline and love and at times correction. Samuel was that type of leader for David. Hebrews 12, success, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens, meaning he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Proverbs 3, 12, it says, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. It's not up on the screen, but I'm just going ahead and reading, random. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares a rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful. They care enough to discipline them. Proverbs 19.18, discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. If there is no discipline, you are partaking in their death. Psalm 94, verse 12, blessed is a man you discipline, O Lord, and teach from your law. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. When we are willing to fall under someone's accountability. It shows that we are humble and that God is with us, that I do not know it all, that there are times where I do need help and that there's someone older who can counsel me and guide me in the right path. So again, David, and this is important, David gave the keys to discipline, accountability, and open rebuke for his own life to Samuel. Here's the key, and you can go ahead and come anytime to bring discipline in my life. Can we read this all together? Proverbs 27, verse 5, it says this, ready, one, two, three. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. What is hidden love? Hidden love is not good. Hidden love is not good. What that means is you have fear of offending your friend. Therefore, you do not rebuke your friend because they might turn their back against you. They may not be happy with you. You are a people pleaser. You just want to tickle their ears. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Don't ever be afraid to speak the truth to your fellow brothers, and to your fellow sisters. Amen? 
And we see it all the time. You know, we see with athletes when athletes, they become big time and they start making big money, commercials, YouTube, everything. You know, they surround themselves with yes people, right? They actually lose their childhood friends. Childhood friends also change too. You know, they start compromising. You know, they don't want to offend their friend. But if you're a real friend and if your friend is acting out and they're wilding out, you go ahead and you speak truth to them no matter what. Dude, I love you, but what you're doing is not okay. This is not cool. You need to change. You need to stop doing. You need to stop behaving in this manner. And we all need friends and mentors who can keep us in check. And in speaking on friends and friendships, let's go to our last point. Point number three, David ran to Jonathan. Can we all run to Jonathan right now? <laughs> I mean, how blessed David was to have a genuine godly friendship with Jonathan, right? Uh, it is better to have, truly, to have genuine real friends, few genuine real friends, than to have many uh, fake friends who say they will be there for you, but when you really need them, I mean, literally, when I'm in trouble or something is happening, I only have like one or two numbers that I can truly call that I know that they will come to my rescue. And same way with them as well. They know. But what's important, what's beautiful here with Jonathan and David, what makes it very special, what makes it set apart from other friendships is that their friendship was built not because they knew each other, childhood friends. Okay, first of all, childhood friends mean squat. You guys hear me? It doesn't mean anything. If anything, that's going to hinder you many times from your walk with God. Trust me, being an only child, me having friends and seeing my friends as my idols, I understand. And from my maturity in my walk with God, it doesn't matter if they're your childhood friends. If my childhood friends are listening, I'm not here to offend them. I'm not saying all of them are that, are that way. But they're just there for that season. But sometimes God brings you someone new in your life. And you may have known that just for a month or two or even a year. And they become, instant, they become an instant brother and a sister. Right here, Jonathan and David, their friendship was built in their mutual, separate, and shared joy in God. Real friendship is not based on a shared hobby. You understand? It's not someone that you have fun playing video games with. It's not someone you go and you play golf with. It's not someone you go fishing with, sports with, watch movies with. Those are good things. Yes, your relationship with that brother, with that sister, it must be shared and in fellowship with God, in God. It must be grounded in God. My father and I, Whenever we have a meal together and when we talk, you know, we're not like having fun and talking about other people, but we talk about our past. We talk about how God was faithful. Even when we talk about the past, it's about God and what God is doing right now and what God is going to be doing in the future. That's it. I mean, it'll be fun if like, I guess we can go in like throw baseball together, but that's kind of weird as an Asian, you know? I don't think we've ever done that. 
But, but we talk and we, we have a meal and I'm thankful for that uh, because I think that's something that a lot of Asian men, men in general, they lack, you know, especially when they talk to their fathers, they talk about worldly things. But to have a father to be able to talk about God together that is grounded in God, for me, is the greatest blessing. May you find that friend that is centered in Christ, centered in God. I say this example because I think there was an episode with uh, Kim Jong-guk and his father. I know he's really close with his parents, but they go and they do like painting together and all that stuff. Oh, that's cute, but I can't imagine me and my father drawing together side by side and talking about like worldly things. But, but what I have is so much better because my father challenges me in a way where no one can, uh, where he, as a man, he teaches me to hold on to God and to seek Him. And there's joy, there's tears, there's laughter, sometimes arguments, <laughs> but, you know, that's part of it, right? And I pray that you will find a friend that you can speak about God with that is grounded in Christ. Proverbs 18, verse 24 says this, one who has unreliable friends, soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Do you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother? First Samuel 18, verse 1 through 4, just to refresh our memory. But what does it say about the relationship about David and Jonathan? It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved them as himself. It's a parallel that we see of the relationship that we have with Christ, how much Christ loved us and how he loves us. Verse 2, from that day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant. Again, it's an action with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Again, he is the prince of Israel. And he took off his robe. He took off everything. He gave it to his friend, his low-class friend, David. And this is a small glimpse and a taste of what Christ does for us. How he took off everything and went on the cross to die for us. And we see that phrase a lot. I think total three times. He loved him as himself. And what's beautiful is David, when he sees Jonathan in chapter 20, if you remember, how many times does he bow to his friend Jonathan? Three times. He loved him as himself. He loved him as himself. He loved him as himself. And three times he went ahead and he bowed down to his dear friend, Jonathan. What a beautiful, symbolic writing description that's found in the Bible. Whenever we read the Old Testament, we cannot read it and isolate it as its own. We always compare it to the whole scripture from Genesis to Revelation. 
and the main character, the protagonist, the main character, it always points to Christ. Even in this verse, verse 1 through 4 in chapter 18, it's a picture of what Christ did for us. How much he loves us. How much he loves us. How much he loves you. Taking off his robe, tunic, sword, bow, and belt, giving it to his dear friend. And Christ calls us his friend, his friends. Amen? Let's go on. Chapter 20, verse 16 to 17. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. That's where it is. So chapter 18, two times. Chapter 20, one time. Let's continue on, verse 41 to 42. We're still on chapter 20. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. You know, what's amazing here is even before, I mean, this is not in my notes. I honestly didn't think I was going to read 20, uh, verse 16, 17, 41, 42. Literally, what just came to my heart in that moment about loving himself three times, bowing down three times. I wasn't aware that it was found in verse uh, 41 that he bowed down to him three times. I mean, literally everything just connects. That's exactly what we just shared before we did the reading. He loved him as himself three times, bowed down to him three times. And they kissed each other and wept together. And we'd be like, Ew, what kissing? Ah. No, it's like brotherly love, kissing. Wept together. And David wept the most. Shows the closeness of their relationship. Remember, what type of kisses are you receiving from your friend? Judas one of the disciples who betrayed him, what did he do? He gave the kiss of betrayal. Not all kisses are good. Kiss of death. But here is a kiss of love, weeping together. Their mutual respect and reverence towards each other. So what you should be saying to yourself is, what can I do to help you, my brother? What can I do to help you, my sister? Anyone can be good and be helpful when times are easy. Anyone can love and be helpful when there is no cause and a sacrifice. We see it all the time in churches, even pastors, elders, members. They only help to a certain extent if only it benefits them. But they're not willing to go out and they look out for themselves and they're only willing to do this. They put a wall. But Jesus, he is the great shepherd, and he goes all the way 
And he went on the cross for us. What does it say in John 10, 11 through 15? I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus speaking. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The higher hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a higher hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus here is emphasizing that I am not a fake friend. I am not a higher hand. I am not just another man, a shepherd, a fake shepherd that looks out for his sheep. He said, I am the real shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am your good father. I am your good friend. I am your king. I am your Lord. When the wolf comes, I will not run away like the higher hand, but I will go and fight and I will protect you. Because a higher hand, that individual cares nothing for the sheep, but I know my sheep and my sheep knows me. The question is, do you know Jesus? Do you know his voice? Do you know that we have a Father in heaven who gave his all for us, who laid down his life for the sheep, for me, for we are the sheep. John 15 verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, I don't know why Jonathan didn't run with David but if you look at the end of chapter 20 verse 42 specifically starting from then then David left and Jonathan went back to the town you would think Jonathan would say I'm gonna go with you David no matter where but I guess Jonathan went back but because Jonathan stayed with his father Uh, Later, you will see that he dies in the battlefield with his father on the same day. Uh, I wish that Jonathan had gone with David, but again, each to their own. And that was a decision that Jonathan made. And therefore, in the end, uh, this was a result, his death with his father, Saul. And at the end of the day, guys, God is sovereign. Everything happens. Uh, the way that God wills it. Uh, but that was the end and of how uh, they said goodbye to each other. They went their separate ways. But we know that Christ is with us and that he will lay down his life for us. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus is not just anybody. Jesus is not a higher hand. The great shepherd, our, my great shepherd, he put it on the line to die on the cross for you and for me. Only a true friend, only a true leader will put it all on the line for you to help a friend in need. This is not up in the screen, but you guys could turn there if you want. But the references here is found in Luke chapter 10, 
But again, it's a parable of the Good Samaritan. But in this story, right, this guy is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets robbed, beaten. I think he's naked. Everything is taken away. But a priest goes by, a Levite goes by, and a Samaritan goes by. And we hear that the priest, he ignores it. The Levite, he ignores it. But the Samaritan, who is not a Jewish person, who is the enemy of the Jewish people, he goes ahead and he, fa- he helps a fellow brother because he took pity on him. It says in that story that he, he, he patches up, he bandages his, his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he, put him, he puts him on his donkey, and he brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he t- t- gave two denarii. Each denarii is like about like $70, so 70, like 140 He gave two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, look after him. If he gets up and if he needs anything, I'll come back. I'll reimburse you for whatever you're using. Any extra expense, I'll pay. And Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think was the neighbor, was the brother to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The experts of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So I want to challenge us today to run to Jonathan. Run to your friend, your godly friend. Chapter 20, verse 4, Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I will do for you. May you have a brother, a friend, that will say these words to you. It's like a water in a desert, in an oasis. When everyone has turned their backs on you, this one friend has not turned his back towards you, her back towards you. It will give you strength, and it will give you courage. And that's what David needed the most during this time. Because you'll see here, I'm glad we finished chapter 20 because after this, things are just going to get worse for David. He's he's on the run now. And things are not going to go his way. We as readers, we know the end, that he's going to become king. But he doesn't know that. David, he does not know what's about to happen. Jonathan, he was, letter A, a friend. Letter B, credible. Letter C, courageous. And letter D, he was loyal in God. And because Jonathan was loyal in God, he was loyal to David. Reading from, let's go to chapter 8. It says this, My king is mad, at least. I so perceive him. What can I do? First, recognize this immutable fact. You cannot tell, none of us can, who is the Lord's anointed and who is not. Some kings whom all agree are after the order of King Saul, are really after the order of David. And others whom all agree are after the order of David, really belong to the order of King Saul. Who is correct? Who can know? To whose voice do you listen? No man is wise enough ever to break that riddle. All we can do is walk around asking ourselves this question. Is this man the Lord's anointed? 
And if he is, is he after the order of King Saul? Memorize that question very well. You may have to ask it of yourself 10,000 times, especially if you are a citizen of a realm whose king just might be mad. Asking this question may not seem difficult, but it is. Especially when you're crying very hard and dodging spears and being tempted to throw one back and being encouraged by others to do just that and all of your rationality and sanity and logic and intelligence and common sense agree. But in the midst of your tears and your frustration, remember that you know only the question, not the answer. No one knows the answer except God. And he never tells. Chapter 9. I did not like the last chapter. It skirted the problem. I'm in David's situation. And I am in agony. What do I do when the kingdom I'm in is ruled by a spear-wielding king? Should I leave? If so, how? Just what does a person do in the middle of a spear-throwing contest? Well, if you don't like, if you don't like the question found in the last chapter, you won't like the answer found in this one. The answer is you get stabbed to death. But what is the good in being speared? You have your eyes on the wrong King Saul. As long as you look at your king, you will blame him and him alone for your present hell. But be careful, for God has his eyes fastened sharply on another King Saul. Not the visible one standing up there throwing spears at you. No, God is looking at another King Saul, one just as bad or worse. God is looking at the King Saul in you. In me, Saul is in your bloodstream. In the marrow of your bones, he makes up the very flesh and muscle of your heart. He is mixed into your soul. He inhabits the nuclei of your atoms. King Saul is one with you. You are King Saul. He breathes in the lungs and beats in the breast of all of us. There's only one way to get get rid of him. He must be annihilated. You may not find this one to be a compliment, but at least now you know why God put you under someone who just might be King Saul. David, the sheep herder, would have grown up to become King Saul number two. Except that, God cut away the Saul inside David's heart. That operation, by the way, took years. It was a brutalizing experience that almost killed the patient. And what were the scalpel and the tongs God used to remove this inner Saul? God used the outer Saul. King Saul sought to destroy David, but his only success was that he became the instrument of God to put to death the Saul who roamed about in the caverns of David's own soul. Yes, David was virtually destroyed in the process, but this had to be done. Otherwise, the Saul in David would have survived. David accepted this fate. He embraced the cruel circumstances. He lifted no hand nor offered resistance. Nor did he grandstand his pity. Silently, privately, he bore the crucible of humiliation. Because of this, he was deeply wounded. His whole inner being was mutilated. His past personality was altered. When the gore was over, David was barely 
recognizable. You weren't satisfied with the question in the last chapter? Then you probably didn't like the answer in this one. None of us do, except God. God brings spirits in our lives, and He brings souls to our lives to kill the soul that resides in all of our hearts today. Do you understand that? The trials and the hardships that you faced was so that we don't turn out as Saul turned out, angry, murderous, filled with jealousy, and filled with pride, which will lead to spiritual death and to physical death, the end of his life and his relationship with God. So may we today, as we're sitting here, when spears are thrown at us, when spears come, run well. Run to Christ. Be grounded in Christ. Run to your mentor. Run to your friend, to that godly friend. Seek help and abide in Christ. And while you still have breath, while you still have breath today, or in the future, dying on our beds. Taking your last breath here on earth in this one life. Reflecting back upon your past, your triumphs, your victories, and your failures. The lies you have conceived, that you have made up, accumulated a sin that cannot be paid back. As we're living on this temporary earth, may you declare to God today, as Paul declared in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. I want to encourage you today to not to fight back as the world fights. Do not take the spear and throw it back, for you will become like Saul. Receive, accept, and surrender to God, for He is with you, for He is doing an inner change within you. To be like Christ. Brokenness, and I say this carefully, is the best place for God to draw near to us. When things are easy, when things are going our way, we grow in pride and we lose our identity as a child of God. But praise God and thanks be to God. For the trials and the spears that are being thrown at us today. Thank you, God, for all the spears that were thrown in 2018 and 19 and leading up and so on to this present day. 
May we not fight back and seek revenge, revenge as the world pushes us to. But may we surrender right now and know that God, that you are in full control. May we say today, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. For there is in store for us the crown of righteousness. For God, you, our Lord, are the righteous judge. And you will reward to us on that day when we take our final breath. Not only to me, but to all. To all who hold on to you. Who receive the crown of righteousness, the crown of life. So, God, may we persevere under trial. May we stand strong in the spear throwing so that we may receive the crown of life that is promised. To us. And as we hope in you, and as we continue to fight this fight, this good fight, may we soar on wings like eagles. May our strength be renewed that is found in God. May we run and not grow weary. And may we walk. Not grow faint. Heavenly Father, we surrender ourselves to you. And we desire and we choose to run well for your kingdom and for your purpose. In the whispers of our hearts, can we just pray? In the whispers of our own voices. And can we just pray that God will kill the Saul within us? For all of you, we are all like Saul. For we all desire to throw the spear. For we are all filled with anger and jealousy. But may we be filled with the Spirit of Christ to kill the pride. That is so prevalent within us, that is so strong within us. May we die. That is no longer I who live, but it is Christ that lives in me, in me, and through me. And as we pray, I want to invite the priest to come up. Let us all pray together. Let us pray and seek after him. Let us pray together. Kill, kill the soul within us, oh God. May we not fight back as the world fights, but may we run. May we run well in Christ. May we run to Samuel. May we run to Jonathan. May we run to you, oh God. For in you there is rest. 
in you there's protection through all the trials and through all the hardships God you are faithful faithful you are faithful you are and faithful you will be
together. King Saul is one with you. You are King Saul. He breathes in the lungs and the and beats in the breast of all of us. There's only one way to get rid of him. He must be annihilated. You may not find this to be a compliment, but at least now you know why God put you under someone who just might be King Saul. David, the sheep herder, who had grown up to become King Saul too, is that that God cut away the Saul inside David's heart. That operation, by the way, took years and was a brutalizing experience that almost killed the patient. And what were the scalpel and the tongs God used to remove this inner Saul? God used the outer Saul. King Saul sought to destroy David, but his only success was that he became the instrument of God to put to death the Saul who roamed about in the caverns of David's own soul. Yes. David was virtually destroyed in the process, but this had to be. Otherwise, the saw in him would have survived. David accepted this fate. Lord, today we accept the fate that is in front of us. We do not cower away from the saws in our lives, from the spears in our lives. But Lord, we run towards you, for God, you are our protector, and God, you are our sanctuary. God, you are the one that holds us, and God, we are grounded in Christ, and we run in Christ. And as David did, Lord, we run to Samuel, and we run to Jonathan's in our lives. Lord, thank you for reminding us. To run to you as the prodigal son did, to draw near closer to you as the prodigal son did, as a prodigal son, as a prodigal daughter. Lord, we run to you. Draw closer to us, closer, Lord, to you, closer, Lord, to you. When the heaviness of the world is pouring heavy upon us, Lord, we draw closer. To you, as you draw near closer to us, we desire to worship and to obey. Heavenly Father, we surrender our hearts to you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. We love you. Take all the honor and praise. May your name be glorified. We love you. We thank you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray. And God's people, we pray. Amen. Amen and amen.